0: Back to Catacomb Synod Practicals. Today we are going to be going over the Rite of Holy Baptism, and this will be take two. (laughs) In the first recording, we had a deacon's meeting and some training that we were doing where we got deep into the weeds in theology. And while I recorded something on it, a good solid 40 minutes on it, going over why we don't hold the ex opere operato, why the matter is faith and everything. I sat back and I realized, wait a second, this is theology that we're doing here, as it touches on the practical. But this little mini-series here is called Catacomb Synod Practicals, and I don't want people getting bogged down in a lot of those details. So, let's correct for that, and have a recording on the rite of holy baptism in terms of the practical aspects of it. What does it mean when we say somebody is performing a baptism, and how do we do it? So if you go to verylutheran.biz and you go to the resources tab, you will find a free rite of holy baptism. And if you open it up, you open up that PDF there, there are... Two rites of holy baptism. A normal one, and then an in extremis rite. That is, when somebody is in peril of death. Let's talk about the in extremis rite of holy baptism. It says it is for emergency situations in which a pastor, deacon, or lay leader is not able to baptize someone in mortal peril. However... It should also be used for pastors and deacons and lay leaders, anybody really. If you encounter somebody that is dying that should be baptized, well, goodness gracious, you should have this on hand. Just put it in your phone, be ready to use it if needed. Now that said, we do have a footnote here talking about adults. Say you have a friend, he has cancer, and it turns out he has a few hours to live. And he wakes up after hearing that news and blacking out a little bit, and he says, okay, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep kicking against the goads. I want to be saved now. Okay, talk to him. Make sure he really believes in what our Lord Jesus is promising him make sure he trusts in Jesus, and then perform the baptism. Lutherans do believer's baptism. I know Baptists will say we don't, but we do. It's just that we believe that babies are believers when they are baptized. God grants faith to that child. And when an adult is baptized I would say it changes the nature of that adult's faith into something legitimate in God's eyes. There's a whole lot of theology there that we won't get into. That was in the first recording that was more specifically for the deacons in our deacon chat. But I digress. If it's an infant that is in mortal peril, they are dying. Maybe a baby has harlequin ichthyosis and they have 20 minutes before they die. Just baptize them. Follow this script. Do it as quickly as you can. But you'll notice that you'll be nervous. And you will doubt yourself. Your blood will be running very high. Your breathing will be short. Somebody is dying or in the process of dying. Close to death. Right next to you. So, we start with the invocation. In the name of the Father and of the Son... And of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is not for the person that is being baptized. Certainly, they will receive a benefit in being baptized and hearing those words, but it is also for you. As you pronounce that invocation, remind yourself what I am about to do. Is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit it is in his stead and by his authority that I'm going to be pouring this water I'm going to pronounce the promise of holy baptism okay I am going to be God's hands and feet and it does not matter whether I am personally worthy to baptize we are not Donatists The validity of a baptism does not depend on your personal perfection. So, that said, when you say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, calm your nerves by saying this. Give it to God, as everything you are about to do is given to God. And then... Turning to the person to be baptized, at least turning to them in the attention, not necessarily physically turning your whole body. We say, my Lord has commanded me and all Christendom, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. We do this to bring the word in. During an in extremis rite of baptism, you are not going to have time to read a whole bunch of Bible, right? You want it to be brief and effective, but we must bring God's Word into this, especially when it comes to an adult who maybe doesn't have much time. They just figured out that Jesus died for their sins, they want to be forgiven. You offer to baptize them, all right, they've heard hopefully enough of the word to understand that. So you say this so that the word of God can do what the word of God does, inspire greater faith, increasing the reception of this sacrament in faith. Faith receives the sacrament, so everything must be oriented toward that. That's a big note. We're going to get on that later when we're talking about the full right. So then, after having said that, my Lord has commanded me in all Christendom, you speak the words of the Great Commission. You say, let us pray. You say, let us pray. This person is a Christian. They're not baptized yet. But you want them to understand that they are accepted into the fold of the body of Christ. So, You pray the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray the Lord's Prayer with them, that is to say that they are part of this. There must be some prayer, some moment for them to reach out to our Lord in faith. And if they are praying along with you, that means that they are further pulled in, further drawn in by faith to our Lord Christ, so they will be accepted into his open Arms. But then you turn your personal attention back to yourself in this right when you say, Holy and Almighty God, I act in accordance with thy will. Help me by thy grace. At this point, you'll have the water with you. You've prayed this because maybe your hands are shaking. Maybe your heart is pounding. Somebody's about to die. Or you don't know if they're going to die. You don't know if the ambulance will get there in time. But you are there for them. So, you say, Beloved, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And as each name of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you pour a little bit of water on their head. It must be sprinkling only. I know it's silly, but you got to say that if somebody decided that they had to be dunked full immersion baptism while they are in the middle of dying, um, that's silly and will probably just kill them. Just saying. So if you just have a little bowl of water where you can put a little bit in your hand, place it on their head three times, and then you pray, Heavenly Father, according to thy mercy, thy word promises that the sins of the baptized are forgiven and they are united to our Lord Christ. In mercy, remember this new saint and deliver them, and whether they live or die, may they rest in the salvation which is offered by the blood of Christ and brought to the saint in these cleansing waters. You'll notice that I have designed this to kind of turn your attention to you. Give you a little bit of confidence. Turn your attention to the person to be baptized. Give them an opportunity to hear Christian things. To hear gospel matters. Especially when you say that you are baptized, you are forgiven, because the blood of Christ is covering you now. So then, for them, you say the Aaronic Benediction. I know somebody's canker sores in their brain are going to start itching and hurting as they say, the Aaronic benediction is just for the Lutheran pastors. In this moment, you're a priest. In this moment, you are fulfilling a priestly function in accordance with the universal priesthood of all believers. Deliver the Aaronic benediction our lord bless you and keep you our lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you our lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen now after you've done this you've given this right in extremis of holy baptism if they're still alive If they haven't blacked out or something, if this is an adult, spend some time with them, comforting them with words of affirmation, saying, You are a saint now of God Most High. God sees your faith. He sees your repentance. He sees the waters of baptism upon your very soul. Be of good cheer. Ministering is not just about some mechanical surgical operation, right? You're not just see sinner, receive confession, deliver absolution. Look at ears in congregation. Deliver sermon into ears that faith may be enhanced. Sometimes you see somebody who is very afraid of dying in that very moment, and it is your job as a minister to minister unto this harmed person, somebody in fear of death that needs the comforting words that Christ has died for them so that they may live. In Christ, rising from the dead means that this baptized saint will rise again. Now, if there's an infant that you're baptizing like this, comfort the parents, comfort the relatives, comfort everybody around. Maybe, and God forbid, you are one of these relatives or you are the parent here at which point i would say god bless you take comfort in what has happened and comfort everybody else too we want to make sure that people have the closest thing to a quote unquote good death as possible i dislike when people say oh he He was a good dyer. Lutherans die well. What they mean by that is we carry comfort and a good attitude to the grave. Understanding that we know where we are going to be. We take comfort in knowing that Christ has saved us. Death is still bad. It's still an enemy. I've told people that you go down swinging. You don't go down without a fight. But even though you have a good attitude and everything... It doesn't mean it's a good death, it just means that it's the closest thing you can get to a good death. It is dying with dignity and grace, rather than um, dying while terrified, dying while panicked. And you deliver that to somebody if you minister to them with a rite of holy baptism in extremis. And everything is oriented in this very, very short service to faith that receives the sacrament. Now, if they do recover, if they do survive, then excellent. Follow up on that. Be there for this individual. If you can, praise the Lord that they lived and they won this round with death. Also, somebody asked, one of the deacons brought up, well, what if you mess up? The uh, emergency situation baptism. What do you do? Is that still a valid thing? Are they going to hell? This is why I talk about faith. Let's say you accidentally baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son. You leave out the Holy Spirit so this baptism is not carried out in accordance with Christ's command. Not that that should be likely (laughs) (laughs) it's not hard to remember in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, to have water on hand, etc. But if you did mess up, remember, everything in that is about faith. This person should be believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, trusting in what he has done. And that would put them in the category of the exception clause that we always carve out whenever interacting with our Baptist friends. You know, our Baptist friends will say, well, what if somebody believes in Jesus, but they're not baptized yet? And then they fall out of a plane, or like there's a plane crash, and then there's like no water, and they're in the desert, and there's no water whatsoever, and they look for water, but there's no water, and this goes on for like a day and a half, and they're dying, but they believe in Jesus, and then they die in the desert, having not been baptized. Are they going to hell, you half-papist? To which point we say... Well, I don't see why God wouldn't save such an individual, but that's the exception to the rule demonstrating the rule's validity here. Same thing. If somebody is in extremis, they're in peril of death, and then they die with the baptism that in some way was botched, don't fear for their soul. Trust in Christ for that person. Now... If they survive, God willing, then uh, please contact them and say, hey, I messed something up, but I'm really glad that you are alive. Let's get you a valid baptism, something you can really look back on and trust for the rest of your life. Now with that said, we move on to the full rite of holy baptism, which is in and of itself a full service. It starts with The Lord be with you. And everybody responds, of course, with, and with thy spirit. There's a reason for that. It is its own small service within a service, and this must start this way, in my opinion, because people are witnessing a new beginning. For this individual who is being baptized, they're going to witness a miracle, and for the VLP, Free right of Holy Baptism, we want to emphasize that people are witnessing a supernatural event. I mean, we are like fish. We don't know what water is. We are constantly surrounded by supernatural phenomenon, and it's amazing when you really think about it. I remember our evangelical friends, they will get into these bitter arguments and debates with each other about continuationism versus secessionism regarding the acts and movements of the Holy Spirit while forgetting, or just flat out denying, that the Holy Spirit literally shows you a miracle when somebody is baptized. We should celebrate that we get to see that. So we start with that new beginning in the middle of service the same way somebody has a new beginning in the middle of their life or, you know, really early part of their life if it is an infant that is being baptized. And then we move on to our own set of readings for the baptismal rite in which we read the entirety of the Great Commission, our Lord Jesus saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He teaches us that baptism is necessary or else we are not born of the Holy Spirit. Again, we are not talking about the edge case we're not talking about the guy in the desert, for any Baptist listening here. This is the normative means in which we are saved. But again, I don't want to get too much into theology here. You will notice if you look over the Rite of Holy Baptism's PDF here that it is positively drenched in Scripture and Scriptural references. We read from John 3, 5-8. through 8. We read from Acts 2 verses 38 and 39. We read from Mark 10:13 through 16. We here at the Catacomb Synod take it very seriously when we read St. Paul saying that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word concerning Christ. Meaning if I am really going to mean it when I say The word is a means of grace by which we receive the sacraments through faith, then we want the word present here. We want it being read out to the person being baptized, to the people in the congregation, and even the person reading that's going to be performing the baptism, well, really God performing the baptism through them, we want Everybody receiving their baptism in faith and rejoicing at this. Now, I will say that there are vows, and this feels orthogonal. It is traditional to have sponsors give vows, and to have an adult, of course, give their vow. You know, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? Yes, I renounce. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Yes, I believe God the Father is my creator, and so forth and so on. We add this in for one special reason. Because we want to make sure that the individual, if they are of sound mind, maybe they're an adult or a 12-year-old or something, if they're being baptized, that they understand, at least with notitia and or ascensus faith, that this baptism is good, and that they wish to receive it, that they understand who it is they are being united with. And the sponsors are asked, do you desire that this child be baptized, bringing them into the fold of the church? Do you promise to raise this child in the Christian faith, instructing them in the word of God, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and in all prayer? We ask this, knowing, by the way, that there should be adult sponsors for adult baptism recipients here, We want to make sure that we are fulfilling the second part of the Great Commission, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's not a giving of the law, so to speak. It is a charge and a promise that this individual, now a Christian, now regenerate, will receive the support they're going to need as part of the preservation of the saints. But after all that's been done, Everything's all nice and neat and ready. The leader baptizes, saying, Dearly beloved, upon hearing the confession and vow of faith, all is ready and we rejoice. Therefore, I baptize thee in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, placing your hand with water on the baby's head or on the adult's head. Uh, Adults, of course, can request full immersion if that's what you guys want to do. That is a-okay. That is still a valid baptism. Please don't immerse babies, though. Unless you really know what you're doing. I know the memes of the Orthodox priests that look like they're waterboarding babies, and I'm always like, "Eh, why are you doing that? It's a little dangerous. I know that the baptism might be valid on account of the Trinitarian formula, but you want that baby to be in heaven, like, immediately? (laughs) So after the baptism has been performed... There is then a proclamation and a charge. The proclamation is incredibly important, at least in my eyes here. We want to emphasize that this is something to be celebrated. Beloved, we have all witnessed a miracle this day. Our Lord has promised. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new, behold, the new has come. We've witnessed a renewal and transformation from sinner to saint. I want to hammer this home, hammer this home. That we should be happy, we should be rejoicing that somebody has been transformed. They're a new person, almost entirely born again. And then, on account of witnessing that miracle, we recall the charge. That is bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. And of course, Christians are to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. So we ask, are you going to support this new Christian? Of course, they answer, we will by the grace of God. And to this believer the sponsors the entire congregation, do you promise to uphold this new saint however you can? We will by the grace of God. Again, this isn't me bringing in the law except, you know, the third use, this is what we do in light of being saved. The point is, this new Christian needs community. They need the church. And we rejoice to provide that for them. Now, there are some external things to bring up, because I understand that in the Catacomb Synod, we have a mixture of more high-church-leaning and more low-church-leaning people. I would caution against majoring in the minors. What do I mean by this? Well, traditionally in the Lutheran church, somebody who is being baptized will wear white, especially if they are a child or an infant. They'll wear maybe a white robe or a little white onesie or a little white dress for little girls. And there is symbolic significance there that enhances the devotion of the people witnessing it as well as the individual being baptized. We also have a candle, where we will give that person a candle, and it will be lit once they are baptized. Wearing white symbolizes being washed in the blood of Christ. It symbolizes being made white as snow, right? Though your sins be crimson, you should be white as snow. And the candle, of course, the light of Christ lighting upon you. For some people, that may or may not be me, we overthink things about the candle. If it is lit, and that symbolizes the light of Christ coming into my very soul, why has it got to be put out? What do you mean? What are you trying to say by the candle being put out? If I keep the candle, do I light it every now and then? Do I got to add some wax, keep that candle burning forever? What are we saying here? Because I don't want that faith going out. I don't want the light of Christ departing or being blown out. Um, Well, now I get a little worried, don't I? (laughs) It can be the case that some people overthink it. But you have alternatives. Alternatives. If you were one of the types, as a house church leader, that would overthink that, that doesn't want to get into that, I would recommend maybe substituting some practices in there from the book of Revelation. Christ's letters to the seven churches include promises to the one who conquers, the people who endure in the faith. One of which being a white stone. Why? Because a white stone is something you give to an innocent party after they've been found innocent in a court on account of Christ's suffering and death and his resurrection, you and I and everybody who believes in Jesus and holds to his promise of salvation, trusting in him for it, while we're declared innocent. That's what that white stone represents. You could give that to them after they are baptized, find a, a courts or a pearl or an opal or some other white stone give it to them and say this represents the white stone christ shall give you being found innocent washed in his blood you can play around with all sorts of things from the letters to the seven churches and the promises attendant to that for the one who endures but if everything's perfectly fine You could just baptize them, do the right, and remind them often of it. You don't have to have candles. You don't have to have white robes. You don't have to do something special and external. The thing to keep in mind is what is negotiable, what is non-negotiable. If somebody tells you, I saw you baptize somebody the other day and they were wearing a white robe, I want to be baptized, but in my day clothes. Okay, you can negotiate that because they can still be actually baptized. Please don't baptize somebody that's wearing a Speedo. That's disrespectful. But if somebody comes up to you and says, Yeah, I want to be baptized, but without water. I'm a little hydrophobic. You got to tell them, I'm sorry. Christ says that you must be born of water and the Spirit. We got to go to John 3, 5. That's how you're born again. We can't just say, oh, you're just baptized because I say these words. we got to do it in accordance with Christ's command. That is not negotiable. A lot of the other high church stuff, that is negotiable. But most of the time it is very beneficial for everybody in that room or that sanctuary for the sake of receiving this sacrament in faith and understanding that something special is going on i think the high church people have the right idea for a lot of it now that said we're bringing this up because this is going to be the last catacomb synod practical episode upload thing for the year and i'm excited to publish this because it's going to be christmas this coming week And Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of our Lord Christ, who gives us the new birth in our baptism. It's incredibly pertinent, and I think it is awesome. So let us move forward celebrating that new birth that he has given us and all who are to be baptized into our Lord Christ. Until then, catch you all for more of this series next year. Our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.